You're listening to BitBytes, the show where we deep dive into the world of video games. Buckle up, it's going to get nerdy. Okay, so we're back here again, but this time we have a name. We have a working name. Working, working title. title. Okay, what is it? BitBytes. BitBytes. I can't subtitle, even remember the subtitle, I'm going to be honest here. And analysis <laughs> overload. Yes. Until the logo is real, I will not remember it. So. That's fair enough. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. And then it'll be real. When there's a logo, it will be real. Yes. So this real. time, we're talking about multiplayer or multiplayer. Yes. Which is when you share a game with other people, actual human beings, whether that's through the power of the internet or before the internet, in person or not. We'll talk about all of that stuff, the gradations of sharing games with other people, which is kind of what it's all about on some level. Yeah. Well, for some of us. For some of us, it's just pure escapism. Mm. So with us today. We have a special guest. Yeah. It's my brother, Nick. Yeah. I'm here. What up, Nick? What's going on? So I asked Nick to come hang out with us and talk about multiplier, multiplier, markiplier, (laughs) multiplayer video games because he has a lot of experience in this field, more way more than I do. Um, Hours and hours and hours and CS:GO logged on Steam in the uh, very high number of hours. (laughs) Too many. But that makes you the expert on the subject. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, why don't you really quickly, just to give everybody a sense of who you are in terms of video games, tell us kind of like a brief version of your experience with them. Uh, sure. Grew up playing games. Uh, started with Nintendo for basically forever. Didn't really play multiplayer uh, until maybe high school age, so... Uh, that would be Halo 3 on the Xbox 360. Obviously, before then, playing Mario locally. Actually, great plug for a game that is a great game is 007 Everything or Nothing for the GameCube. Very uh, underrated game for its time. But then, obviously, uh, moved to online multiplayer with Halo and graduated to uh, the Xbox One for a little, very short time. And then moved to PC, started playing Counter-Strike and Rainbow Six Siege. And uh, Siege is the, the current big game in my repertoire. Which, if you would like to watch Nick play that game for Living hours, already. Wow. <laughs> you can go on to twitch.tv and look up Nickname Nick. Yeah, mm. that, that's accurate. Yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that plug, but that works. Wait, no one got that username before? Nope. Oh, nope. maybe you. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, I am pretty pretty ignorant to the online multiplayer world. Uh, can you please tell me what type of game is Rainbow? Uh, yeah, sure. And- well, I think all of these, Halo 3, Call of Duty, Rainbow Six Siege, Counter-Strike, they're all first-person shooters. Okay. And I think they're all team-based. So... In Halo, I think it's uh, 4v4, so four players playing against four players. is the They have different game modes and everything, but that's the main game mode. And uh, Rainbow Six and Counter-Strike are both 
five five players on each team playing against each other at a time. With those games, uh, it's very communication heavy. So there will be five players interacting with each other through their microphones or whatever they have on a console. Um, for someone who's never played the game, what's kind of like, what's the concept? What does the gameplay look like? And then how do you approach playing the game when you're interacting with other people? Like, what does that look like for teammates and then people you're kind of opposing on the other team? Okay. With Siege, Siege is a little different than, uh, it's very different than Halo, a little different than Counter-Strike in that it's much more of a, um, you're playing mind games as opposed to, like Halo, you run around shooting people. And that's the, I mean, it's an exaggeration, but because there's still a lot of, teamwork and strategy but siege is a lot more extreme on the strategy uh on the spectrum like for instance if you're every time you're playing on a map uh there are different game types but the main game type is it's called bomb so there are two bomb sites and there every single round there will be attackers and defenders and um it, it starts randomly. You're randomly selected. One team is defending, one team's attacking. Um, so, and then there's there's also a prep phase. So you, you see where there's a lot to explain. But uh, so there's a prep phase where the defenders will prep the bomb site, trying to defend it. Like you reinforce walls so that uh, people can't shoot through walls. Um, there's also each player plays what's called an operator that has a unique gadget or ability or something along those lines that helps them either attack or defend. So if you're defending, for instance, you're playing, there's a character called Jaeger, where you put uh, what's called, um, I think it's called a something defense system. And it's basically something you place on a wall and it gets rid of grenades that the attackers throw. So uh, there are a lot of windows in the game. So if a, an attacker is throwing a flash grenade through a window, Jaeger has a chance to put his device there and it gets rid of it. So basically every attacker and defender is playing off each other. So at, at the higher levels of play, people are working off each other and you have a strategy every round and there's a, a lot of foresight involved and it gets pretty complex, but that's the fun of it. So now lower, lower levels of play, people play it like it's Halo. There's not a lot of strategy involved, and that's fine, but where the game really shines is where you're uh, using strategy like that to coordinate as a team, and there's lots of communication. Are you playing yeah. with friends, like people you know in real life, or are they people that you've met online and you form teams that's, and strategies together? I play with my roommate a lot of the time, so usually there will be two of us playing together, and then we have three random people that we're playing with. That's, that's actually part of the struggle, um, is playing with random people, because you get matched with people who, like I was talking about, they don't use a lot of strategy, and they don't coordinate with you, they don't communicate. Um, sometimes they do, and you luck out, but a lot of the times they don't. And then there's the whole people being quote-unquote toxic, just saying inappropriate things and making it a very uh, unpleasant experience. That's you, pretty common. So. Do you find that those people tend to be lower level, or do you get yes. that in the higher level experienced players? Very, very much so. It's skewed that way. Um, 
not everyone at either level is a certain way, um, but it's more of a pattern. So if you're playing at high level, people people are going to be focused on mm-hmm. winning the game. If you're playing at a lower level, people are. It sounds strange, but they're just trying to have fun, but they're doing it in a unpleasant way. Okay. So. so if you look out and you get an experienced person higher level, they're more yes. likely to cooperate with you. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's a good preface to topics we'll get into later mm-hmm. but uh i'd like to take it back now let's go back in time pre pre internet webs <laughs> growing up uh what was multiplayer then because it definitely was a thing growing up multiplayer for me was me playing games when i was like six or seven years old that i didn't own that i didn't really understand but that i thought i did had both of those things going for me and so I would be really crappy at a game and then an adult would come by and be like, hey, wow, like, how did you do that? And I'd be like, well, here, and I hand them the controller and then they do it wrong and then I tell them how they did it wrong. So not much has changed with me on that front. I still do that all the time <laughs> without being asked now. I don't know. Multiplayer for me is kind of a broader term than just like a game that has an option in the menu that literally says co-op or two or three or four player option. When Nick and I were growing up together, it was like a thing of, we had a very limited library because there wasn't Steam, so you didn't have this overwhelming, crushing library of games that you've never even touched, but that you paid full price for. Which I think was kind of a good thing, to be honest, because it's like you had to go into this pool over and over again. So when you're growing up with someone, they share that pool with you because they're in the same house. And then you both grow this like deep knowledge for the game. You talk about it when you're not playing it. And that's sort of a multiplayer thing. Even if the game is not a Mario Kart where you're literally racing each other, which it can be that too. The Super Nintendo version of Mario Kart is a nightmare. But I mean, even games like you mentioned, 007 Everything or Nothing, that is 100%. Well, no, it had a multiplayer, it had a multiplayer experience. Yeah. Oh my God, yes it did. <laughs> Which is a thing in and of itself, but that's a good game. And it was a game that like we both grew to appreciate in tandem, but I think it was through the solo experience. It was like the single player deal. And then like after a while we were like, oh, hey, this multiplayer. And then because we already had this foundation, it's based on the same mechanics. They just kind of throw you in the same space and you're teaming up against like a room full of people, isn't that basically? It's like a Rainbow Six type situation, except way less tactical. And then there's stuff like we're jo- joking about Chow Garden, but it was kind of a thing. It's like, you know, because you have limited access to information, you can't just go, unless you want to buy Nintendo Power and still scratch your head. It's like, there's no internet to pull out of your pocket and just be like, oh yeah, what's this thing? You have to actually like have a conversation about what you're doing and be like, what the heck, like, have you beat this? I think something that you said that kind of triggered for me too is like, you know, talking in person with people trying to figure out like how, you know, you beat games and that sort of stuff too. Is like, I remember in my GameCube days um, swapping memory cards with like friends and stuff like that so that I can get like, uh, or figure out how they they got like certain characters or, or that sort of stuff. And like, they would say that, oh yeah, I have, I beat this or blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't believe it. And then, you know, we would swap memory cards and I would find out that, oh, yeah, they, they've. <laughs> so there's like that, there's that really cool of like, there's not like the, there's the community aspect of not only just playing a game together, like side by side, but there's this 
the shared experience of in that time in that era when there wasn't you know internet and everybody's interconnected and all that kind of stuff is like you had to go and talk to people and figure out and there was a there was a really cool sense of you know mystery and all that kind of stuff too that you know just that discovery of like what you you beat this or like how do you do that and then they like come over to your house and then they show you how they did it and all that kind of stuff do you remember when we used to go over to matt's house and play master quest i do remember that um and actually on that note i was gonna because i think you said something about reading things uh but there's one experience that i remember turning into a multiplayer experience that had nothing to do with it but an ocarina of time inside the deku tree and you go down into the lower area uh and it's it's the part right before you drop down the second time you remember this where you have to light a stick on fire and do and roll across the web and we i i don't know how long it was it's so long ago i don't remember any of this but uh we could not figure that out um, I don't remember how we figured that out. I do remember how we figured it out. We went to Barnes & Noble with Mom, and she was <laughs> looking. Okay, the cooking stuff was right across, like, the aisle from all the Nintendo stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I'll just I'll just look at it. And then I literally, it was, like, not the exact page I opened to in Nintendo Power, but it was pretty close to it. And I was like, boom. That's it. That's it. Uh, but that's, that's a multiplayer experience to me. Um in a game that's very much single player. Uh, and same thing with Master Quest. Like, the whole thing is slightly more difficult version where everything's altered. So for, for me, that was figuring those things out and uh, having discussions about it. It's a multiplayer. So. Yeah, because you share that victory. Yeah. It's like whenever you figure it out, it's like an aha, but you're not like alone in your room in the dark, like, aha, and then there's no one around to be like, oh... Okay, I guess I'll just keep playing now. So, Jesse, <laughs> tell us about your multiplayer experience. So, I was introduced, I think I might have mentioned this briefly in the first episode, but I was introduced to video games um, by a friend in elementary school. It must have been second or third grade. And she had an older brother that had, like, the Xbox set up, right, and all that. So, uh, <laughs> we'd go down and into the basement on the setup. She'd pull up Halo or Turok or something, and we would essentially play house in these multi, just these one-on-one maps. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys played Turok at all, but they have like a treehouse level with raptors on the ground. It's like, we're just playing family or house on the treetop level. <laughs> um, this is why I always laugh at people who think, oh, video game violent, video games corrupt. I'm like, no, nah, we just used it how we wanted to use it. Um, so, <laughs> how does one do that? How does this work? How do you play house with like dolls? It's just imagination, right? So you know, oh, I got this giant weapon. That's awesome. Like, um, honey, the the the, <laughs> the machine guns over in that hut. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I laugh every time I think about it. But oh, so romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, honey, you fell. Get out into the la- the ladder. The raptors are coming. I'll hold them off. So <laughs> that type of thing. Um, yeah, or just like hide and go seek in the Halo maps. Like, I think it multiplayer definitely in those old days. It's, it's whatever you make of it. You know, whether it's you know working on a single player game, 
like Legend of Zelda and working together to get through that. Yeah, and then there's of course the classic like Pokemon trading on the Game Boys, sticking your your connector cables <laughs> to trade. Uh, oh yeah, that was the coolest thing. Like learning that you can only evolve certain Pokemon by trading. Yeah, so I guess that was a pre-internet way of connecting games. I also thought kind of to what your your example of uh, playing house on Turok, which is yeah. amazing. I would, never, I would have <laughs> never have thought of that. Um, I thought Halo 3 was a very good practitioner of the online experience, but also the local experience as well, because they had a community where you could download maps that people had created that weren't just the literal, you know, shoot people and you win type thing. They had all these different game modes where you did like really stupid stuff and you know you were like the last person standing or something like that um or it was like soccer or something like that that you could play in there which i we always had a really good time when friends would come over and then they would bring their xbox and we would you know connect online and all play together yeah it was a lot of fun you had to get real creative right <laughs> so um yeah that's pretty much the extent of my really early day multiplayer experience. Uh, I don't, you guys, did you do the Mario Kart thing in your family? We did. Um, yeah, we, we played a good bit of Mario Kart. We had we had Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo, and then we played, I guess, at church with uh, on the N64. A lot of Mario Kart, a lot of Smash Bros. N64. Yeah, Smash Bros. A lot of that. Yeah. Very um, competitive. It's very competitive. <laughs> it's a great game for siblings, I learned. Yeah. My sister and I could get a lot of our aggression out on each other through the game. So <laughs> um, that was actually really fun playing with her. So I'll look back on that time fondly. Yeah. Would you go so far as to say Smash Bros. was enough catharsis to keep you guys from having unnecessary oh, definitely. fights and maybe made your relationship better? <laughs> Thank you, Nintendo. <laughs> Thanks, Nintendo. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think it was a... It was a good one of the few bonding things we both like to do. So. We would always get uh, weird looks, like for people that didn't know what we were talking about. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go smash my brother oh. <laughs> upstairs." Like, do you want to unpack that a little bit? <laughs> um, well, okay, hold on. I know you're trying to keep this moving, but we can't just mention Super Smash Brothers, the entire series as a whole, in front of George Sumrall and not have him explain to us what it actually is because none of us lowly scrub players actually know what's up compared to George. Yeah, I'm basically I'm trying to make you look awesome because you're total kick-ass at that game. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> it's really cool because it's not complicated like so many other fighter games are where you have to do ridiculous combos or there's a tremendous amount of strategy involved with those games um, there is strategy involved and if you get you know into the higher multiplayer aspects of the game there are things in there that you know you can uh, learn and figure out that kind of elevate it to that kind of more competitive um, experience but yeah it's very simplistic in what the uh, concept is and how you traverse in the world and it's made that much more because not really any other fighting game does this is it's compounded with uh, items that influence your uh, gameplay and um, I don't really know of any fighting games that do that on top of because it's usually a like a 1v1 type thing 
and I think Smash Bros has done a really good job of incorporating and they were kind of I think kind of the forerunners of this kind of party fighting type game style and so with the simplicity of it and coupled with the fact that it's like it's a Nintendo you know type thing and I also think it's like it's the one franchise that has like the most crossover franchises um in a fighting game or i think like any game really yeah you can pull a casual person off the street and like hey you don't need to know any combos you recognize a character because there's probably gonna be a chance you recognize a character button mash you'll you'll probably do fine (laughs) yeah so that's like that's what's really cool is like all these other people that may not necessarily have nintendo or grew up with nintendo or stuff like that can immediately like attribute to like oh yeah i know snake you know, from Metal Gear Solid because I played, you know, PlayStation and that sort of stuff. So it's like, that's a really cool and really special aspect and a core part of the, the game. Um, I believe that Super Smash is involved in this area of multiplayer phenomena, but um, we did want to touch on kind of like the speed running and the marathon playing of long form games for the kind of the purpose of charity like it, to raise money for a charity or a cause um, because that is a community experience and it's based on a like mutual love for games um, and it takes a couple different forms but Nick and I both airy dirty laundry without you asking me Nick and I both have gone through this phase based on watching other people speedrun games where we've gotten really into it and for me, for whatever reason, it was the original Mario Bros. Like on Super Nintendo, they did a Redux version where they had the first, second, third, and then lost levels were all packaged together. And we still have that. And I just think the Super Nintendo has the best controller of any console pretty much ever, especially in that era. Um, but I just got really into like, I want to be able to run, like do a clean speed run of the entire first Mario Bros game and I don't know I got really into it it's kind (laughs) of I don't know when I think about it now I'm like I feel kind of dirty but you did the same thing on some level with the Super Mario Bros 3 yeah yeah not on not on some levels very uh very intense um (laughs) which uh those games are a little different as far as uh what's involved um because uh if I remember correctly, Super Mario Bros. is pretty straightforward when you're speedrunning because you're just not that it's easy. It's very difficult, but you're dodging enemies and you're taking shortcuts and uh, playing the levels quickly. Uh, whereas Super Mario Bros. 3, there is... Well, first of all, there are different categories, um, which I think there might be in the first game too, but... Uh, in the third game, there's like wrong warp, which is um, what is wrong warp? I can't. I I don't remember exactly what it involves, but it's basically where you glitch the game. To would this be ca- uh, categorized as a strat? Uh, uh, you guys are using <laughs> vocabulary that's just going over my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a. Uh, they basically the idea is it's a deep well, right? Yeah, uh, so it's like the idea of like breaking the game. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't remember exactly what happens, but you have to like pick up a Koopa and throw it in a, an exact 
like coordinate and it's like a pixel perfect something or other and then the game basically takes you from i think it's a pretty lame game but it takes you from in the middle of a level to the ending cutscene so you're not really beating the game per se but you're getting to the final like end game screen which is beating the game uh but that's why they have different categories because uh there's like no wrong warp where which is what i used to do where um you're beating the game as quickly as you can but you can't glitch it and then there's a hundred percent where you beat every single level in every world uh and all the bonuses and all that kind of stuff so um yeah it can, it can get pretty deep but it's fun so did you it's guys definitely fun to watch start doing this because you saw others doing this and you're like oh we want to try yeah for sure um I can't remember how it all started, but it was definitely um, being a spectator. Well, that, you know, that just, it's like you said, it turns into a community thing, something they would think is very, like, obsessive, single player, like, it's just me beating this game as quickly as I can, turn into, oh, no, others seeing you do it, they're trying to do it. It becomes um, a community event, and now with uh, YouTube and everyone posting their best speed runs, it's... And turning that into charity <laughs> speed runs and uh yeah it's it's taking some a game and being really creative with it and it's amazing how far it'll go you can take it yeah it gets taken really really far so if you've never watched the majora's mask speed runs oh get get ready to have your mind blown because it's <laughs> like they find these places in the game where you go through invisible walls and then you backflip or you uh sorry you place a bomb and then you arm yourself with the shield and then like with perfect timing when the bomb blows up you do like a backflip at the same time or something and it gets you slightly elevated higher than you were but you're in the middle of like nothing it just looks like you're in the middle of blackness and nothingness and you just keep doing this until you end up somewhere else and you fall through a thing and then you're in the boss room and then there's some thing where you do that really fast but isn't there who's the guy that's like renowned for the Zelda speedruns? What's his name? Uh there's there's a lot now. I don't really know. Um but what you're talking about uh not only are you doing that, you're doing it over and over again to the point where you're like in the stratosphere of this game, uh and there's no reference of anything. I I don't pretend to understand that. They also have uh I was watching this maybe a couple of years ago. It's there. I can't remember exactly how it works, but it's four people using one controller, blindfolded, <laughs> beating Majora's Mask. What? It, quickly, qu- quicker than pretty much anyone else could. What? It's unbelievable. I, I have no idea how that's even possible, but it, it happened. I, I saw it, and I don't. I don't understand. So, it's incredible. I recently actually. I watched a video of somebody beat, uh, I think it was either Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue in like six minutes. What? Because they, there's a, like, kind of like what you're saying is like you jump, you or you lay a bomb and you jump and it, like, gets you just high enough. Is like they did something where you have to talk to, like, a specific person and you have to talk to them, like, multiple times or something like that. And then there's a certain, like, corner in one of, like, the worlds under, like, certain conditions that when you go through it, um, you actually go through the wall 
and so you can start traversing like the level going through uh, stuff but it's weird because in order to trigger certain events in the game you have to somebody uh, stops you and like comes up and talks to you and so it's really funny watching them play some of this stuff because they have to constantly keep moving because if they stop moving it'll crash the game because that person's trying to catch up to them to talk to them but they're like not in the road or anything they're like in the trees and stuff like that which you have to imagine on some level it's like for one single person to figure all that out by themselves just constantly trial and error i guess it's feasible but it's a lot more likely that that's something that they were talking about with other people who were maybe trying to do the same thing and i know for a fact that like because of the scale of these things and now they're annual semi-annual type events where you're doing the charity runs and everything it's like because it is a spectator thing they're like and it's become competitive there are these people who have kind of risen up as being kind of like oh well they hold that record for this game and they hold that crown for a while and they get some level of notoriety and then it's like everybody else that's watching what they've done they're able to build off of that and you know do it better or do it differently or whatever so it's like even though you've never met cosmo did you just remember the name (laughs) you kind of have somewhat of a relationship with him even though it's extremely indirect if you're kind of copying his strategies and if you're trying to build on them or whatever i mean there's kind of like this um i guess it's somewhat similar to other spectator sports but it's not quite the same it's almost like this project that we're all working on trying to break this thing that we love it's not getting on a field and playing by the same rules every time. It's almost like the inverse of that. Yeah. In a way. I can say as someone who, you know, I never was into the speed run thing, but I found the glitches very entertaining, like going on YouTube and like, look at all these seven glitches and Twilight Princess that you can do. And just like trying to recreate that. So much fun. So yeah, definitely a way to bond with other gamers through breaking the game you love. You're breaking one of your favorite games. Does that not make you upset? Okay, no. In this glitch specifically, you get put in the title screen. Do you remember the title what? screen to Twilight Princess? Yeah. Where what? he's just like galloping through Hyrule Field. And then if you go off a certain rock, then you're galloping in, in the air. And you can go over to the castle. Like anything you <laughs> see in the title screen is there. It's all empty and barren, but it's pretty fun. Just gallop around the castle. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. But bringing it back to, you know, uh, Smash Brothers is like is, you know, they do speed runs and stuff like that for charity. But then they'll also have contests and that sort of thing because uh, there's like really people that are really really good at um, Smash Bros. And they'll a certain um, they'll set up a a, a contest to where uh, they'll invite that player that's like a professional player to that event and then people can like pay like a amount of money to like go up against them um and they'll do that for like x amount of hours or you know for a certain part of the day or you know that sort of stuff which is i think is pretty it's pretty cool and then it's like it's a legit deal because they'll have game moderators and stuff like that that and they'll stream it like online live for you to be able to watch and stuff like that it's pretty cool yeah, I think we've we've come pretty far. Like it, it's pretty in the public eye, not just in the the gamer field. Uh, with Let's Plays now on YouTube everywhere, and then Fortnite and stream Twitch streaming. Uh, who who's the guy? 
on Twitch. Who's like the most subscribed Twitch user? Uh, I believe. Are you talking about Ninja? Yeah, yeah. and then now he's playing with celebrities that don't Drake play. and yeah. uh, I can't remember the other ones, but yeah. Yeah, it's like crazy. that. Can you can you imagine we'd be here? We're like <laughs> <laughs> these celebrities are playing uh, these online games with really popular gamers. Like I don't. <laughs> It blows my mind. Honestly, I'm also laughing, too, because in our entire outline, we never mentioned Fortnite. <laughs> it's sort of like the biggest thing right now. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Fortnite. <laughs> I just la That just shows our age, though, because we're just not into it. Oh, my God. Are we um, old now? We're so old. I, uh. I was in the pool the other weekend, and some kid must have overheard me and my friend talking about Nintendo or something. They're like, what do you play? And we're like... Zelda and Mario, what do you play? Fortnite, eight-year-old. Then he said, like, like I didn't know what that is or something like that, or I don't know what that is. <laughs> he just got real confused. Like, what, are, <laughs> oh what are you guys doing? <laughs> Get what? with it. Wow. So. My brother loves Fortnite a lot. See, that it's so interesting to me because Fortnite, like you were saying earlier, Nick, it's uh, you're out for yourself, right? It's not a team thing. Um, and it's like, maybe with the, these younger kids, this is me just being an old person now. <laughs> but like, is it, do you think maybe it's it's a trend? I don't know what I'm trying to say is. It's taking the world by storm now. I don't know if it's like something that will last, you know, that it'll be kind of come integrated into just the gaming world as something that'll stay, but, stick around for like 20 years or whatever. But do you think they have like the patience now? to do these team sports that require strategy and cooperation to succeed? I mean, I think it's like it's like with anything. It's like there will be people that are extremely passionate about it. I don't know how big it will be, um, but the, I think there will always be like a place for those particular type of like game modes and game styles. I don't know. I kind of agree with Grandma Jesse on this one. <laughs> I think it might be a combination of the two. Like maybe Fortnite specifically, that phenomenon is indicating of like a larger trend. Like, I don't know if the actual game itself has a ton of staying power um, just because of the nature of it. Like it seems a bit fleeting, like just the, even the nature of it, like as it evolves, it's like, it's, it's changing a lot. Like the, even like changing up the formula. I don't know. It's not like a, like a long-standing Nintendo game where, like, yeah, the Mario Kart formula has changed a little bit. They keep adding here's and there's, but, like, it's not really quite the same thing in my mind. I think it's, like, it's a it's a classic take on multiple experience. It's just taken to the extreme, you know, with 100 people or, you know, some of them are trying to even do more than that, 700, 1,000 people in a game match, which is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Um, but like, kind of like what you're saying, it's morphing and changing because I don't think it's something that's like, in it, as it is right now, it's not something that like sticks and is a standalone type thing. I think as they you know explore it and people play it and all that kind of stuff, it morphs and changes, and it may end up becoming something that, but in its like current state, probably not. But it could evolve into something that's lasting. I have a very like negative view of Fortnite and games like that, the just out for yourself games right now, because I feel like it's the height of that, that whole mentality that 
gamer mentality of like I'm better than you I'm like I'm gonna prove it and I'm gonna own you and oh you're a noob and um, you know when you go into multiplayer games online and you're all randomly matched together there's gonna be people that are worse than you but like you would hope hey the more experienced players can help you along work together maybe give advice or tips and I feel like it's just all that's out the window and you know it's the it's this type of game style and that's fine um, and I'm sure it's fun to play but like it scares me by how popular it has gotten and how uh, yeah just this type of game that this is the one that's gotten the most popular and widespread yeah the battle royale genre in general it's like it is the epitome of competitive individualism it's gone so far and the phenomenon has gotten so out of hand that there have been instances of parents paying older people who are good at the game to teach, mentor their kids to get better at the game so that they'll have more like social acceptance at school. Really? To me, yeah, to me, that is like, I don't know, that just indicates to me that it's gone way too far. Like, is this a fun thing anymore? Are you having fun? Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a another peer pressure thing or another like way for people to not be accepted or to be accepted um but the game like you're saying jesse it's like the way that the game is structured and the way that people are encouraged to play by that structure it kind of makes sense and then it's unfortunately feeding into a lot of other i mean it kind of raises the question of like at what point does gamer influence and preference influence companies and then the vice versa but it's like we're seeing you know like fallout 76 is basically about battle royale with all the assets of fallout 4 more or less not exactly the same but they are i feel like they would not have maybe made this leap into multiplayer in the way that they're doing it now and in this form if it wasn't for the success of things like fortnite PUBG, whatever mm-hmm. Um, so it, I mean, it is having an influence and it is spreading somewhat because it's proven to be successful financially. So whether that's a good thing or not, that unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't matter <laughs> as much as what makes money. But I also feel like it's not like, yes, that stuff is very real. Um, but I also feel like there, it is a way because there are modes that support like squad base, like play with your friends against everyone else. It's not like every man for himself type thing. Mm-hmm. I do think it's like on the other side, I think it's also a way that people, you know, it's like with any multiplayer game, it's like they get to come together and, you know, something that they commonly like and enjoy and get to play together. Mm-hmm. I think the, um, probably another reason that's so big now is yeah. the cross-play. They make it very easy to play no matter, you know, mobile, console, PC. So When you play Mario Kart, whether it's local and especially online, I guess, because there's a element of anonymity thrown in there. But it's like, whenever you play Mario Kart, it's you versus everybody else. It's a race. Unless you do teams, it's a race. Everybody's trying to win. At the end, there's a clear winner. So in this way, it's sort of similar to Fortnite. It's like, mm-hmm. if you're doing the traditional mode, you're doing the battle royale deal, you're on your own. Is competing with everyone else. At the end, there's a clear winner, and then it's stat, it's ranked from there. You literally get a number to designate how your performance ranked against the other people that you're performing against. But never, when I feel Mario Kart, and tell me why this is, maybe it's just, I don't know, they're both cartoony, they're both fun. Uh, granted, Mario Kart, there's no guns, 
but you are blue shelling people, which is Ooh. enraging. Sometimes right? that can be worse, Robert. <laughs> True, but at no point when I'm playing Mario Kart am I like, screw this person. You know what I mean? I don't get I don't get like this like <laughs> evil hatred for other people I'm playing Mario Kart with. I'm just like, that was actually pretty sick because I wish I had done that. Um, Respect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like. For whatever reason, is it something about the form of the Battle Royale games where it's like there's a little bit more like... It's a different type of like heightened competitive... Like the stage for what you're playing in is set differently. So like Mario Kart's more of like a casual game. I mean, yes, there is like competitive aspects, but more it's like, you know, sit on the couch with your buddies and like let's go, you know, race each other and shoot... uh, turtle shells at each other and that sort of thing yeah but have you ever played with jesse yes mario kart is not a <laughs> it's not to be taken like but that but it's coupled with people's personalities and stuff so you can have you know people that play people and it's like the example with like when miss when sakurai made brawl he wanted to make a more like casual like fun game but people still turned it into a competitive <laughs> he's experience. like guys stop stop don't do what you did to melee stop yeah and so it's like with anything it's like people are gonna blow it out of proportion and all that kind of stuff um but there it, it is very real like the aspects that you're talking about where like social acceptance and people like paying you know people that are really good at the game to like teach your kids in the hopes that, you know, that they'll fit in better with, you know, their friends and that kind of stuff. It's like, that's very real. Um, but again, I think it's like, it all just kind of depends on the person and, you know, the game that you're playing. So part of why I made that point too, is to bring up the fact that Jesse and I have been playing a crap ton of Splatoon too. Oh yeah. Which is super fun. It is, it is. And it is a competitive game. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't really know if I categorize it as a shooter game. It's not really the point of the... I think Nintendo wouldn't like you if you categorized <laughs> it as a shooter game. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, no, I I definitely... I never... Even though, okay, let's say that's more in the shooter area, I've never felt, like, hatred for an anonymous online player, you know? Um, if, like, someone snipes me or rolls me over or whatever... I uh it's it's more of that respect feeling and I don't know the more I think about it I think is that just the culture Nintendo has cultivated like or is it the anonymity that you know uh, like I don't know it's, it's hard to, to to determine why I I don't I don't get that uh overly competitive feeling with Nintendo games but it is almost, at least in my experience, what would you say is like somewhat universal in the like bigger multiplayer titles for them? It doesn't, it's something about the form of them that doesn't incite, I don't know, like actual rage against specific other people. It's just kind of like general like, oh man, but then you're like right back in it and it's all good. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. I wonder if it's like a cultural thing too. Because Nintendo is Japanese based. I can't remember if Sony is Japanese. Uh, or Sony's entertainment part is Japanese based. Yeah, yeah they are. Because <laughs> um, I also feel Sony games haven't, you know, necessarily been like heavy on multiplayer either. Um, their games have been like a grittier version of like Nintendo stuff that they put out. But even like when PlayStation 3 came out and the PlayStation Network and all that kind of stuff came out, it's like their 
multiplayer experiences were not good people were having lots of connection problems and all that kind of stuff and it just like it wasn't great and now like where it is now it's much much better but I think like I don't know if that could be a potential thing it's like what they value and stuff like that and what they've created in their games doesn't really lend itself to like Microsoft or you know Xbox and, and that sort of stuff I actually have I've, I brought it up before but the game Journey Are you familiar Nick at all? Yes Yeah um, I feel like that's almost the extreme opposite of these Battle Royale games. For those who don't know, you are put in this game um, by yourself, but if you're connected online, there's a chance that as you're traveling up this mountain with this beautiful score behind you and beautiful scenery and you're just trying to discover the world, right? Um, there's a chance that another player could be put in your game and you will not get a user name at all. Um, you can't connect, you can't communicate with them outside of a single chirp you get and like jumping around. Um, and normally what ends up happening is you sort of, uh, you create a bond with this person as you both go up the mountain. Um, you can help each other to get farther away places. It makes it easier if one of them is more experienced than the other. It's sort of obvious because sometimes it'll help lead you to new places. It, you create this weird bond with this totally anonymous person and if you do get to the top of the mountain together and finish the game together at that point they'll, they'll let you see who it was um, it's even cooler too if you see someone that's in a white robe because you know then that they have already completed the game and it's almost like you have that guardian angel type the person with you that whole way leading you through it and it's this really weird experience I've never never had in another game and it's really hard to you know hate a a little road person that can only chirp at you <laughs> so i and that that's a sony that's on the playstation but i think that's a game initially they made for people to experience alone and this multiplayer aspect of it that they included sort of created a new experience and I think that led them to the new game they're developing right now in Sky, which is specifically multiplayer. It's meant to be played with people, with your friends and family, to help each other. It's like almost they're they're taking that aspect of Journey and like, you know, focusing just on that. So I'm I'm eager for that game to come out. Uh, but I think that's a really creative, a new multiplayer mode, experience. I guess. Experience, yeah. That's it, it is an experience. It's I recommend everyone to try it. So did you know about that aspect, the multiplayer component of that game going into it? No. Um, I was introduced to this game by my friend, so that was uh, something she didn't tell me up front, which was great. Um, and I hope most people got that experience as well. It's like, oh, I'm not alone in this like wide desert. There's someone else over there. Looks like me. So, you know, for me, I haven't played it, obviously. Mm -hmm. Not obviously, I just haven't played it. Um, when I hear you describing that limited level of interaction, it kind of, for me, just the way that you're describing it, I'm kind of like, I don't know, it begs the question, like, do you feel wanting to have a more elaborate way to communicate with them? Like, do you wish you could talk to them? Do you ever feel like that when you're playing? No, um, I think that would break it, break whatever weird connection you make with them. It's like, hey, that might be a ranting eight-year-old on the other side, but you won't know that. Um, 
and I never for I never once think that's the case in, in the few runs I've done. It's almost like that forced anonymity, that forced silence uh, replaced with a cute little chirp. Like, <laughs> forces um a good feeling forces me to create a good feeling with this character so yeah yeah i like that yeah so bouncing off of that so that is kind of like the the case study epitome of a totally non-toxic totally fun and casual and not at all inciting any kind of rage experience and Mm -hmm. then Nick, because you're here, could you tell us about the total opposite of that, which is Counter-Strike in Rainbow Six? You know, we have this journey experience of your setup. You have limited communication ability, and it's, I guess it's cooperative, yeah? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be. You can get through it without the person, but you feel like you're in it together. So jumping off of that, um, how would you describe... (laughs) In direct contrast to that, the level of toxicity that arises in online shooters. Uh, I'm getting a headache just thinking about it, but uh, <clears throat> that's fine. Um, well, actually, as a segue, um, a game like Mario Kart 8 now, where you put in uh, pre-made phrases and say, like, oh, that was fun, or let's wait for more people or whatever I don't, there's That's a, a bunch of them yeah yeah so when you're waiting in a lobby before a race or after you you say you, they give you pre-made phrases you can say and all of them are obviously very friendly um which promotes a friendly experience and then when you're racing um it's like we were talking about before but it's mario kart so you're not yelling at the screen uh cursing any of that kind of stuff uh Whereas when you have unlimited freedom in a game like Counter-Strike where, and part of it is, part of it's the culture, right? Because a person who plays Counter-Strike is usually competitive and they want to win and they want to do anything to win and they don't want to put up with anyone that's even slightly worse than they are. Like we were talking about before, um, you wish someone would be helpful to someone who's not quite as skilled or experienced as they are, but it's usually the opposite. It's usually, you're terrible, why aren't you as good as I am, lots of other things. Um, So, unfortunately, competitive games, especially competitive shooters, for some reason, I'm not sure exactly why, a a lot of bad things get said on a very regular basis, and it's gotten to the point where, um... I think Counter-Strike hasn't really done much of this, but Siege is, Ubisoft is a company that made the game, or that they uh, develop it, so they've started doing, and they even call it anti-toxicity measures, so uh, first of all, to play the game, you have to have the two-factor authentic authentication where you connect your phone so that you're somewhat responsible for your account because there's so many people or there have been that have two accounts and the re- part of the reason for that is to play with people who aren't as good and it makes the game easier which I don't really understand but it's very common um, and then the other part of it is if you have a second account you're completely free to do whatever you want with no consequences because if they ban you okay you ban my account I have another one 
the one that I actually care about. That's one thing they did. You can type things and chat. Uh, they've started just bleeping things out. If you say something that's offensive, they have like a list of words and it immediately bans you. So if you say a slur or something, you're out and you can't play the game anymore. And I think uh, it kicks you out of the game and gives you a um, timeout or something. And then if you do it too much, you can't play the game at all. And it, uh, I think they're moving towards an IP ban. So basically mm, you yeah. can't, like you can never play the game again until you move. I don't know. I mean, that brings up a good so. question. Like, do you think we talked about like Nintendo's culture? They've cultivated. They know their core audience is kids. I think they take it really. Um, they take a big, a lot of responsibility in, in making sure any online communication that's out there is clean. But is that is that up to game companies to regulate? In the uh, the Miiverse lobbies, yeah. In the Splatoon two lobbies, so they both have this element where you can draw things, mm-hmm. which is extremely, you think it would be like, oh, you know, cutesy <laughs> little drawings of Princess Zelda and Kirby and Samus and whatever. Mm-hmm. It is for the most part. But then it's sometimes it's like, dear God, how did that get through? Because that is extremely explicit. That's not even innuendo. That is just straight up like, wow. Um, so I mean, that's normally caught though after... I don't think they have like a, like I think people can post it, but then it, it's it's not like it doesn't have to go through a system first before it's posted. I believe mm-hmm. people will try whatever they can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so the people can't be trusted on some level would be kind of what I'm saying in a way. In scenarios like I I mostly grew up on Nintendo, and obviously they don't have a robust online community or multiplayer games. Like when they first did, I think on the Wii U, and they had that that lobby where when you turn on your uh, your Wii U and it'll show the games and all the little me's underneath it, and like that's where they originally would have the drawings that people could post. Which I never saw anything too bad, so I don't know I don't know what corners of Splatoon back alleys you're going into, but <laughs> um, uh. It was is weird because like you couldn't it, it'd be very difficult to communicate with these people if you wanted to and even then it's still somewhat anonymous but it's like you still felt like this you were in a sense you uh, you were in a community um, because you saw how many me's were localized under each game and if you were playing that game you felt like a part of that um, it was a lot of fun or you could join certain channels for certain games and you know see all the drawings there and, and chat um, but yeah the minute that you rip away that level of anonymity it's like oh wow people are scum (laughs) so oh and that person's 12 years old oh um that was sort of shocking to me i unfortunately feel like the walls are coming down for nintendo for that i think they will do a good job of kind of like what you've said with uh, rainbow six and you know what other developers and stuff are implementing is like bands and that sort of stuff but Fortnite, you can actually plug a headset in in the switch version and talk to people and i don't think there's any other game aside it unless you have the companion app on your phone to actually like talk to people in game but i feel like it's like because they're opening up with more different types of games and that sort of stuff that it could it could only be a matter of time before they they incorporate more of that stuff in 
their core games that are multiplayer. Hmm. So if that were to happen, what would be your reaction to that? I w- it would depend on how they chose to go about it. If it was like something where, like, um, like Ed said, that they heavily moderate it, then I think it could be really cool. Um, but it's like it's with anything. It's like people are gonna abuse it. Certain people are gonna abuse it, and that's just the way of the world. That I think it would be really cool to be able to talk and interact with people versus just having like custom phrases that you that are pre-selected for you. So you're somewhat on the side of a little bit less gatekeeping, but still somewhat moderated. No, I mean, like, I don't have like a preference of like, oh, it should be this much or it should be that much. I think it's just like, I think it would be nice to have a little more communication with people that you play in the Nintendo spectrum. I think as long as you're friends with that person, like through the system, I'm okay with that. I don't know. Anytime I tried, like in more recent years, to play Battlefront online, and if I tried to turn on uh, my speaker, it did not go well. So, but that's the thing too is like I usually like when I play online games, is I usually mute all the other people and I just play with the party that I'm in. Yeah. Like I don't really listen to all the other people, and if they do, it's like really annoying. So you have to go and mute them. All of this conversation kind of brings up another element of multiplayer, especially in competitive sphere, whether it's something that. It's like a CSGO type thing, or, I mean, it's way less prevalent with Nintendo titles, but, you know, all across the spectrum, there is this desire to cheat, especially now that esports are a thing. I feel like that desire has probably become a little bit more intense just because there's potential to make money from being really good at a game. And I think for some people, it's like, well, if I can get into a space by cheating a little bit and learning stuff along the way, it's like, well, I'll just cheat a little bit. Which, Nick, isn't there a, uh, there's something Valve implemented where it's like a self-reporting. So you kind of like, you know, you tag someone as like this person's cheating in a specific way and you like file a complaint and then they review it. Yeah. Um, Counter-Strike because it's a Valve game, it's connected to Steam, and you typically report people on Steam. It's pretty satisfying, actually, to... <laughs> you play against a cheater, you report them in Steam, and then Valve will tell you someone you reported has been banned. Yeah! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's awesome. Kyle222, you're gone forever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kyle222. Um but uh, yeah it's satisfying and um it's a it's a system that mostly works but it is definitely not it's not good enough to be honest um because and it they they've understood that and they do they have done the same thing that siege has done with the two-factor authentication and all that kind of stuff but they also they just have systems that detect cheaters so I mean, I don't know actual, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but probably more than 90% of people who use hacks and stuff like that in Counter-Strike or whatever game it may be are automatically banned because they have systems that detect stuff like that. And they have people who are creating systems that um, keep up with whatever people are inventing to cheat. With Siege, Siege has a better system where... Um, not only can you report people for cheating, but you can report them for being toxic. 
So if someone's just being a jerk, uh, you report them for being toxic, they get reported so many times, they're banned. But with cheating, I mean, Ubisoft is hard on cheaters. If you cheat, you're done forever, and it's still very much a problem, especially at the high level because people are getting paid to quote-unquote boost people to the highest level. Like you're saying, um, whatever they're trying to get out of it, whether it's telling their friends that they're the highest level in the game or I don't know, honestly, but uh, it's still very prevalent. And I mean, I encounter it all the time, so I know it's there, uh, even with all these systems that are rolling out constantly. So yeah, it's very much a problem. Okay, so Jesse, when you hear that, how does that combination of solution sound to you in just kind of the general, because you threw out the question about like, is it up to developers or publishers to regulate this stuff? It's like, that sounds like kind of a heavy reliance on players to tattle on each other, or at least to, that's not a great way to put that, but to report people who are causing enough problem to warrant looking into and then they kind of do the rest of the work what do you think about that i'm not sure exactly how this the self-reporting system works my mind first goes to like oh well, what if some crappy person just starts reporting you even though you didn't do anything does that happen uh it does happen uh i don't know that it happens often enough for someone to actually get banned because you have to the way it really works is they do, a, I guess, like a bell curve where a certain percentage of people, if mm-hmm. you're in the top 10% of people that are getting reported that much, then mm-hmm. that's when you get banned. Okay. Um, and it's definitely not flawless. I mean, you're still encountering – I encounter people all the time who are being that way, so it's still – they're in the game. Um, I don't think it's – even close to foolproof but is it incredible is it easy to it is very re- easy okay yeah you click on someone's name you click twice and it's done so. if you require multiple people to report the same person like the only way that's ever going to happen is if it's super easy to report them yes um speaking of being super easy to report did you read about the dude in splatoon recently who like was trying to alert Nintendo to the way people were cheating and getting up on leaderboards. And so he did it himself. And I guess he like named all these different, all the users, the usernames he used was like, Nintendo, look, like I'm cheating or something like <laughs> fix the cheating problem or the the glitch or whatever it was. I'll, I'm gonna look it up later for the specifics, but it was hilarious because there was no like system in place to report this. Um, or to get it noticed and like this dude was basically uh, using the techniques themselves to try to get Nintendo or someone to notice Um, I thought it was hilarious but I I feel like that's an instance where there's no system whatsoever and that really sucks for the rest of the players I think the self-reporting thing can work if paired with a vigilant company as well Um, Because there's only so much, so many people they can hire, so many eyes, Mm -hmm. systems they can have in place. There's just, they're probably overwhelmed by the amount of players. So I think a combo of both. And people just have to be diligent about it. Yeah. Um, It does kind of raise a question, too, of like, we're talking about games, at least so far that have come up for the most part, are 
um, still relatively new or have like a short shelf life. Um, and so for developers, publishers, the people who would regulate this stuff, they it makes sense for them to be on top of it because they're currently making money from that revenue stream. But George, I know you've been dipping your toes into the old stinky water of Modern Warfare 2. Oh my God. <laughs> which you've been playing on Xbox, yeah? Yeah, it just recently came out for uh, backwards compatibility, a friend of mine. Um, told me about it and I like lost my mind because that was like the multiplayer game that defined my childhood <laughs> um, or at least high school I guess that's a re-release of an older game yes but it is an older game the way you were describing it to me is that it's pretty essentially the same exact thing I mean if there was a weird bug or a glitch or whatever it's stayed the same in this re-release yeah, because it's not a remastered version. It's just they ported it for the 360. Now, they are making a remastered version, which I have no idea if they're going to continue or like remove some of the problems and glitches of the of what the original had. Is That'll a, be $60, please. Yeah. Is this an online multiplayer thing? It's a single-player and online multiplayer, primarily online multiplayer. Um is there a large online community for that right now? It's still huge. It's still going extremely strong. It's oh. been out for almost 10 years. Oh. And still tons of people play it because it set a lot of precedence for like modern uh, first-person shooter multiplayer experiences. Is there, um, I'm sorry, I have no familiarity with this game or anything, but is this the type of game where you can chat online with the people you're playing with or... Yeah, it's uh, kind of like your Rainbow Six Siege, any of your other Call of Duties. It's you can uh, chat with people in the lobby, or you can create a party with your friends and stuff like that, and chat amongst yourselves and play together. I guess my, I'm curious then, like for a game that's so old and has such a still a large active user base, like would you say the community is pretty uh, not toxic, or is is it toxic? Or? It's not as prevalent as it was before because there are less people, I guess, like that because those people that I guess were toxic aren't that age anymore and they're probably off playing different games and have moved on. Um, that being said, there's still occasional every now... It's just not as prevalent as it used to be, yeah. but every now and then you will have somebody who's being a jerk. There's more people that's there for the game yeah. to have fun. Mm -hmm. cool. So what about in the category of cheating or game exploitation? Because it is older. They've kept it more or less the same. A lot of people are playing it. Is there? Have you noticed anyone like obviously cheating or doing anything to no, kind of ruin it? I think it's kind of like the thing. Well, it's interesting too because that's kind of like a whole other discussion. Is like you could assume like there are people that are obviously blatantly cheating. But then there are people that like you're just angry at them and you're saying they're cheating or they're hackers or whatever. <laughs> so I feel like for the most part, the game was pretty solid at not really having people that could cheat necessarily. That being said, there were certain things that they incorporated into the game that I don't think they thought all the way through when they made the game. And so if you were smart about it, you could kind of cheat your way in getting certain stuff but it was pretty difficult to do. Yeah, just curious. Yeah. I guess I've always been sort of afraid in general of touching the online multiplayer um, area because I just, 
I've not had good uh, good experiences when I try to turn on chat functions. Uh, even when that's off, people will direct message me and like, like, cause they have to, you know, they're angry enough to go outside the game <laughs> and like type with a PlayStation controller. <laughs> This message of hatred towards me. That happened a ton yeah. in the initial release of Modern Warfare 2. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's just, it's really sad, like, that, wow, we're all here just to have a good time, and I'm feeling so attacked right now. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah, and, and that's why, I mean, I, I got to bring this up because it's really relevant, but there was a shooting in Jacksonville, Florida, like a week ago now, I think at a competition, um, at a Madden competition. Uh, and it's just, a lot of times the debate goes straight to these games, these violent games are, you know, influencing people and making them extra violent in real life. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's tough to say how much of an influence these games have because like I'll turn on the chat feature and I'm like, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> but also it's like, well, you can't really say that because then you have to apply it to movies, um, TV, books that are also extremely violent, but they don't get blamed for these things. So to, does having like um, you as that first person shooter in these games, does that, do you think that affects, you know, their behavior long-term in real life? I'm gonna say no, based on my personal experience. My version of getting really into this and having my first person shooter fix is Doom, which is insanely violent. It's insanely gory. It's literally, it's just like, it's like if you turn testosterone into a video game, cause it's like death metal, that's not even like regular death metal. It's like death metal turned up to 12 and it's just like, you know, it's, there's literally like, there's a move called a glory kill. So, I mean, it's like enough said, but um, if you never played it, watch five seconds of it, you know what I mean? Uh, the new, the 2017 release of Doom. I'm like super excited about the next one too. And I think for me, it has an opposite effect of the general accusation about the super violent nature of video games where like for me, it's actually like a safe space where I'm getting all of my whatever kind of like disgusting violent baggage that I carry because I'm have like human genetic code inside my body that informs everything I do. It's like, it's a nice safe little thing I can do in my room alone and get all raged about and no one has to get hurt, you know? And yeah, I actually do on some level. It it elicits a real reaction for me because I do get into it. It's like, especially when I'm like in a really high pressure situation, it's like, there's no health around. I'm almost out of ammo and there's, you know, like I'm fighting like 20 things at once. I'm like, that does get my blood going. So I think it does... I don't know. I, I think that actually kind of adds to the effectiveness of it being cathartic because it actually elicits like I have a physiological reaction when I play the game. Kind of to your point is like video games is like an outlet for you to kind of whether it's unwind or calm down or whatever it is based on, you know, what's going on in your body chemistry and all that kind of stuff and what happened throughout your day. I'll also say, too, that like. I think it's there's like there's these two sides is like at the core 
I don't think people are blaming the wrong thing. I think games are not the reason why people are doing these things. I think it's the people themselves and their certain environments and their certain... Because there's so many factors that can determine why somebody decided to do that. And I think part of it is the issue or the dilemma of mental health, um, that people have psychological problems already before they went into that environment, and that just kind of amplified it to kind of an extreme level. Um, But then I'll also say, too, is like, I think it's really cool because one of the professional players for uh, Smash Bros, um, he said that if he hadn't, like, delved so far and so deep into Smash Bros that he would probably be in gangs or in jail or something like that. So I can kind of see it, you know, both ways. But and at its core, I don't think it's the issue. I think it's the people... Um, that are playing these games that is kind of the issue. I think it's interesting when you were talking about Doom being your cathartic release, you know, and that you know, you're playing your, by yourself, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that like that a lot when I'm playing by myself. And the minute you bring that into the multiplayer sphere, you're, with a, you're, you're competing against other people or even with other people, you have something to prove, right? Um, all of a sudden those stakes are raised. Um, and that's where I feel people can get overly competitive and they start tying their wins and losses to their own self-worth. And I think when you cross that line, that's when things can become dangerous. And I don't, I think this is why it's wrong to just blame video games outright, but you see this in other highly competitive sports too. Um, you know, cases where some people get... Uh, violence in real life um, whether that's a shooting or you know abuse of people around you uh, I think yes a lot of that depends on the person but I do think it's always good to keep an eye out on our own community and how it can become all this overly toxic um, behavior can result um, in some pretty serious consequences so the more regulating we can do um, whether that's we have to take if game companies aren't stepping up if we have to uh, step up as players and call that shit out um you know trying to remind people hey we're all here to have fun right (laughs) so i'll also say too that there are more recent in latter years there are organizations and initiatives that have been started um in spite of that is like anti-bullying and anti-stuff specifically centered around video games and like gaming communities and that sort of stuff that kind of address that. The potential that games have to, multiplayer games have for bringing people together is is really great. I just, I connected with a lot of people right away in freshman year in college because I joined um, like Super Smash Bro leagues where you'd be required to take your Wii or whatever to someone's dorm and go, go play a match or something. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that it can help get a lot of those maybe introvert basement gamers out there and interacting with other people. Um, yeah, so <laughs> brought that up just to say there's no uh, correct, fully correct answer, but something to keep an eye out on. So I like your take on that. 
and I wonder how that fares against your direct experience with uh, specifically PC competitive shooters and stuff. Um, because like you're talking about it being really toxic, but the extent of how toxic it is, sometimes I think people don't realize exactly what we're talking about here because it's like it gets real bad, like to the point of like where people will feel so hurt that they will do homework to figure out how someone's IP address is linked to an actual geographic location of where that human being is sitting and they will like death threat them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't know if they mean it. Yeah. Like my roommate, for instance, Matt has had someone that I think they typed in his IP address into the chat and basically said, like, I know who you are, which is very disturbing. Um, so basically just to say you're correct, it, it is, I think it is a little bit worse than people um, assume it is. Uh, just because, I mean, it's a video game, so it's not necessarily logical to get so worked up about it that you're threatening to do something terrible, but it, it happens. I was also going to say, the I think it was you, Jesse, that shared the article about the power that um, gamers have in influencing uh, developers and stuff like that is kind of this thing of, you know because they've gotten that kind of stuff too and it's this big kind of dilemma that we're facing right now that there's so much power given to public opinion and that sort of thing um, that influences um, that just like came to mind when you were kind of talking about that like death threats and that sort of stuff you know is it people are extremely passionate about you know gaming and that sort of stuff and easily gets out of hand I think I think developers have a have a big role if they don't want to become known as the ones that you know all the all the rots and tends to go to the, their game right they don't want to be known for that um, so like after this shooting in Jacksonville uh, that was a Madden it wasn't even a shooter it was a football game um, and EA was on it to you know gave their apologies they i think they donated one million dollars to the families and raised a a fundraiser for it um but i think i think they're very much aware of their image and if it sort of hits a boiling point and toxicity in their game i think that'll be a problem for them at the end of the day so yeah it's important to them too kind of i don't know how y'all feel but i wanted to to kind of get your thoughts maybe maybe a little bit away from the uh, toxic community and talking more about great things that happen out of bringing this idea of like gaming being able to bring people from all across the world together and you get to share in people's experiences and there's something to say about just gaming in general is like this way to kind of embody these worlds that people create um, and you get to experience somebody's imagination and dreams you know in a very interactive way that you don't really get with other forms of media and I think it's cool that with that it's like it's growing in the last you know five ten years into something that is becoming like the the thing with esports is like there's these huge followings of these games like League of Legends, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, and all that kind of stuff, and it's becoming 
to the point where it's been considered for to be included in the Olympic Games. I'm interested to hear what you all kind of think about the dilemma right now of whether it should or shouldn't be included because of the differentiation between the real sports and gaming. First of all, I just like to say, let's look at how far we've come, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that people generally are aware that esports is a thing. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. I don't think it should be dismissed right away. I really honestly haven't given this much thought um, because personally I don't watch esports. But I do think with as large of a following as they have and the amount of work that these teams do put in to playing and strategizing together in these tournaments, um, it's definitely something that should be considered. Thoughts, guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. It's like... A lot of the stuff, like with gymnastics, when the Olympics were first coming about as a thing, gymnastics was early in its days. It was done naked. Um, so we've graduated from that. But all that. Wait, are you proposing naked gaming? <laughs> in the I mean, you wouldn't know if it was just like from the bottom down. Okay. They're sitting at the you know yeah. the desk or whatever. Um, no, not necessarily. I say that to say that you know social norms and culture evolve and so we've gotten to a point now where it's for you know you can say it's good or bad but it doesn't really matter like esports are insanely popular especially in places like south korea it's wildly popular it's more than just like a sideshow cultural phenomenon it's like a core part of how people interact with each other and how they share their life experience with one another so to me it, it totally makes sense it actually makes more sense to me than some other things that are currently included in the summer and or winter olympics um, not as a subjective judgment about whether those things are interesting or not but just based on like the metric of size of audience um, it's there it's a sport mm -hmm. jesse like you're saying it's highly strategic um, and it's a team effort thing it's like you know i can see myself on some level getting psyched for like I don't really play Overwatch. I don't care for it a ton, but I don't really care for other things in the Olympics. But like when there's a tinge of patriotism in my blood and when someone sits down and they've, you know, they're representing the United States in an Overwatch final or something, it's like, I can get into that. It's like, I want them to win. It's like, I'm watching. I'm like, you better not screw this up. You know what <laughs> I mean? It'd be nice to have like a sport that's more focused on strategy, teamwork, concentration, you know. It isn't than so much an athletic a physical feat. thing, yeah. Um, because I think when it comes to these countries competing, it's more than just that. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'd like to see some brains in there. Me too. And for the another reason being that there's this temptation to roid it up or to do yeah. any kind of like blood doping or whatever kind of things that are terrible for yourself just to have a competitive edge it's like granted you know we just covered there are terrible terrible things to competitive in gaming world but it's like on an olympic level of course it's going to be regulated to the best of its ability and it's not actually damaging to you physiologically it's like psychologically i'm sure it's super intense but i'm sure all the sports are at that level well actually there's been a lot of like a lot of news recently now that it's becoming more in the public eye of 
these teams pretty much. Um, I don't, not all of them, but I think there's an unhealthy like levels of elitism. Uh, um, no, I when it comes to actually like practicing and like the, what mm. they they get housed together, right? And like that's all their time you. is dedicated to this to the point of like people getting sick from exhaustion. I think I read this right that there's even been at least one death just from exhaustion, um, malnourishment. I'm sure, and it's not healthy, of course, to sit um, and stare on a computer and carpal tunnel. I'm sure is a thing. Um, mm. Just you know, it, it's it's pushing. You know, in in other sports, they're pushing their players to the max, right? But they're also doing that in esports and can uh the results are not pretty so yes there needs to be regulation um but there are some downsides currently that's that's rearing their ugly heads so but do you think even having that dark underbelly do you think that it's starting at a place because it's cropped up in modernity where it's like I don't know, maybe it's the starting place for competitive video gaming. Esports is like, it's only up from here in theory in terms of like I getting those things under control. Yeah, I think they're relatively easier things to get under control. I think when it becomes even more public, they'll probably be like, you can't have people collapsing because but, of this. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's like, it's the thing too of like practicing for Olympic sports and stuff like that is like whether the people qualify or not is like the amount of like dedication and stuff is like, it's a different type of form but in a way it's a similar type of thing it's like you dedicate so much and you push yourself so hard to whatever your passion is for whatever you do is like if you go too far there are consequences you know yeah to well but that's a subjective line because like in china for gymnastics if they show any kind of talent when they're of a certain age and competing at a certain level they are taken from their families and they live on the premises of where the gym is, where they practice, and that's all they do. It's like, hey, welcome to your new friends that you're gonna compete with against these other teams and now this is your life. Yeah. Granted, it is China, I know. I guess in, in that realm of like overcommitment or whatever, it's yeah. like the, the, that stuff is there for sure. It needs to be acknowledged and it needs to be addressed. But I guess it, it kind of comes with pockets of people expressing that differently maybe yeah well yeah there's definitely with the olympic sports that have been established now that have had such a long time as an olympic sport it's become embedded in the world's cultures and stuff and people behave differently based on you know their ways of life and what they believe and all that kind of stuff um so you're definitely going to get some stuff that uh, from us looking you know to them is like you know does not seem right point I was guess trying to raise is like there's good and bad that's going to come from including a new you know sport into there yeah for sure so Nick do you have thoughts on the esports in the Olympics I think I mean it, it would be a great thing on a lot of levels the only I guess concern I would have is some of the uh, practicality of it just I mean, think about how many, now granted, I know you can't include everything, but how many games there are to play, um, how many players there are, and uh, there's also 
can it really be competitive internationally? Um, like for instance, Counter-Strike, there's probably really one country that's competitive in it. Siege is the same way. There, there might be a rivalry between two countries, but there are only going to be a few that are represented in a real way. Whereas a lot of the sports that are, that are in the Olympics now, I'm sure not all, but like think about gymnastics, how many countries are competitive in that? Even if it's ruled by China or the United States or whoever, that game, it's a very competitive thing, whereas I don't know that video games in their current state will be that way. I don't think that's necessarily a reason to completely eliminate eliminate it as an idea, but the way esports is now, the way teams are structured, yeah, it's all about the money, to be honest. Uh, and that's why these players are getting pushed too hard. If you go to one of these events, it's really cool. I'm not saying it's uh, a bad environment. It's a really cool thing, and it brings a lot of people together. But it is an enterprise, and these teams are operating purely out of like promotion. And it's, I mean, it's like the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it, it, it's become what it has become. And honestly, that's probably why football is kind of a similar thing, if you think about it, um, in the way that it's not internationally competitive at all. Uh, it's an American sport, and it's privatized, and it's just it's become its own thing. And I think esports is kind of its own thing right now, and I don't know how well it would translate practically. So, Well, it's already it just with your football comparison at least video games does have that international um pro to it i guess you could say that's already south korea it's much bigger than it is here something that's interesting or that's different that sets it apart is that these games are provided by companies that are probably going to want like if you start opening the that floodgate like okay who's whose game company gets their game in the into the olympics like i can imagine that being crazy <laughs> like mm-hmm. You have a certain number of slots. Um, what qualifies your game to be in it? Well, I was going to say, to your point, Nick, is like you raise a good point of it, like where the current state is now. It's kind of like it's a very small base of because most of the Olympic sports is like you don't really have to have like a very specific requirement in order to you know compete in that. But with you know technology that's coming out now with crossplay and that sort of stuff is like there are games that I think maybe down the road and it'll be interesting how they would incorporate that because I feel like other countries would have easier access to maybe cell phones and that sort of stuff but maybe not to consoles and so they'd be able to play and that sort of stuff on phones but they would have a different way of playing in that environment and so they would either have to cater to that or you know find out some other way of allowing them to play on the same platform or the same playing field my mind keeps running off with the football comparison of like regulation <laughs> controllers and yeah oh my god, <laughs> oh my god well then someone like hacks, hacks the if somebody like tweaked their version yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. wow that'd be a headache okay cool anyway we've covered a lot of ground we're almost two hours into the... <laughs> we thought we'd, we'd get a shorter podcast. No, no. All I know when it, when it comes to these... Sorry, this is still 
from the uh, these these esport games. I am not into them. I don't. I'm not interested in watching them. But every time they release a beautiful cinematic, I'm on board. I'm like, I don't know who this character is, but this five minute cinematic they just released. Yeah, what I was that it. one you sent me the other day? Um, oh, it was an Overwatch. Yeah. So Bat- good. Yeah, Bastion, I think. So good, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, just go make your Pixar movie Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Blizzard could just uh, take the throne. It's open. Yeah. You know? mm, yeah. But uh, then League of Legends, World of Warcraft just did a nice big update um, announcement. So. I think it's cool, too, is like blurring the line. Like the technology that's being used in multiplayer games to create cinematics is technology that they're using in make in creating computer generated images for uh, Hollywood feature films and, and that sort of stuff yeah. I think sorry to wrap this all up um, when it comes to these cinematics they release or when it comes to people creating let's play games online um, I think multiplayer games have really come a long way and it's become even if you're not playing that game directly you're part of the community um even if you're just watching others play so um yeah i think that's really interesting even the ads for the games yeah like for counter or uh what's the missile strike game that has arnold schwarzenegger in it (laughs) there's like stuff even those like silly like mobile you know games have these like ridiculous like ads for them Mm mm-hmm so Nick, thank you for joining us. It was a little extra long this time, but thank you for sticking around and sharing your thoughts. We appreciate you sharing your perspective and hopefully it was somewhat of a release for you so you could get all this like Rainbow Six CSGO garbage off your chest. But yeah, so you know, all that to say, multiplayer games are a lot of things, but I think at the end of the day, it's like multiplayer aspects of games are in a way why we started this podcast um our friendship on a pretty fundamental level is kind of connected to video games and that we share that with each other and i think that's so cool like it's turned into us doing this podcast but it's like we continue to play games together or you know talk about games that we are playing even if the other person isn't and we can listen and appreciate kind of like this vast swath that Video games is such a huge term to use. But um, I don't know. I'm grateful that games exist because I feel like it's gotten me closer to everybody that's in this room. So I don't know. You might not be saying that once Smash Bros. comes out. <laughs> so. divide, all bets are off. All bets are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this week. See you next time.